Thanks for listening to the Jazz Joe Hall Show podcast. Today on the pod, the B.C. government announces a budget surplus of $5 billion. Should taxpayers expect more rebates? Plus, an empty bottle of CBD oil gets a Canadian man banned for life from the U.S. What else shouldn't you be carrying across the border? And after 55 years in publication, the Arts and Culture Weekly, Georgia Strait is relaunched and hits the streets this week. We catch up with its new owners. That's all next on the Jazz Joe Hall Show podcast. Let's focus on breaking news. Uh, the change to end individualized funding and replace it with hubs was a big deal when it comes to parents whose children are dealing with autism. Uh, we are told that Premier David Eby has halted that unpopular decision. Uh, it was a decision that was announced last year, uh, and it's been a year since the provincial government announced plans to phase out direct funding for families of children with autism and replace it with a new centralized support hub model by 2025. In the last uh, five to ten minutes or so, Mr. Eby has halted that unpopular change. Uh, joining us now is Kay Banna. She is a parent in Richmond. Uh, she she has been involved in this uh, parent group that have been fighting the provincial government. She joins us now. Hello, Kay. Hi there, Jazz. Yes, we're with Autism BC. Um, and thank you for having us so soon after the announcement. <laughs> I know this is, uh, it's <laughs> happened the last few minutes. First of all, what's going through your mind uh, when you heard the news? Um, well, actually, uh, we, you know, according to the announcement that we did meet with the premier uh, last night, and so, um, you know, he he did advise us of of the change to to reset, um, to pivot, and um, and not phase out individualized funding uh, in 2025. And you know, we had some questions, making sure that you know this is not a temporary measure, or that this will be um, applicable for even children who um, who are going to be diagnosed in the future. And so that we have confirmed that. And um, uh, as far as we know, um, th- that is that is indeed a commitment from the premier is to um, to go back and and not end up phasing out our individualized autism funding and so it was after hearing that news as you can imagine you know my heart just came out of my body <laughs> and um, and and we're really uh, relieved that the the premier uh, we were there on Monday in Victoria Julia our executive director and myself uh, presenting a report um, based on the survey results of um, 50 over 1500 families who completed our survey back in the spring um, who, where the statistic was that 96 percent of the families um, really wanted to keep their individualized funding and only four percent thought that the hubs were the right service um, for them. And so we presented this directly to the premier and all government parties. Um, It was a really busy day on Monday, but we are just so happy and grateful that um, the premier um, took this seriously and that he he listened um, and and reversed that decision. Now, under the the, uh, original program, families with children under the age of six were eligible for, I think, for $22,000 in funding per year, and that dropped to $6,000 per year, ages six and up. So if you have a child with autism, basically you would get that money, and then you as a parent would decide on individual treatment and what's best for your child, and you can see that, right? It's not as clear-cut as that. Actually, it is all managed by the Autism Funding Unit, which is a government agent, BC government agency. And so that $22,000 is not like something that goes directly into the parents, like 
pocket or so. It is um, it is the service providers that we then put together as part of our service team, um, and they would directly bill to autism funding. So basically, we just and it's all through an approval process. So all of those um, supports that we bring in for our children are all um, uh, you know to be uh, um, pending on approval um, from the autism funding unit. But, but what it does, I'm I'm going to guess here because you support this the, the program broadly is that it, it still mm-hmm. gives you some say and you get to decide Absolutely. Uh, right and and this yes. this centralized system that the government was proposing and, and has been adamantly proposing for the past year yes. that takes away that autonomy or at least your voice uh, or you the believe agency. your voice mm-hmm. yes absolutely that was the number one fear of the families is that they are not going to be able to really manage you know like what what's going to happen to their children in these hubs like we have been um part of so many info sessions um, along with parents like I've attended pretty much all of them um, asking about you know can we keep our current team can we keep the services that we already have in place that are working for our children and we just didn't get any clear answers and so that was a huge fear Um, and then we were also hearing from service providers that businesses were on the line you know like this is their livelihood and most of these uh, uh, therapists and and service providers were women um, doing great work. So there was just so many thousands of people impacted across the country. Um, and, and so this, this decision by the premier uh, will affect so many people today. <laughs> um, you, you know, you're, I know you're, you're ecstatic. I think uh, you remember talking to you back when I was in MLA mm-hmm. and parents came to, to, to Victoria. I mean, this is not something that you had a quiet conversation with government. They, they've changed their way. This was a, a fight with government. It was a stubborn mm-hmm. government uh, to mm-hmm. this date and that you finally were able to, to uh, you know, force this government to see the light. I mean, it's not like this is a simple thing to do. It was not at all. It was a year's worth of strategy and collaboration, and it's really all of the all of the efforts, sustained efforts of parents, of service providers, of organizations like across beyond autism. Really, you know, we were also able to um, form partnerships and collaborations with other disability groups, like um, against this this new system, or at least trying to find out more and trying to get at to what exactly the kind of services we're going to get. So this was a, a collaborative effort of so many people, and most of them are extremely exhausted, tired parents who already have so much going on in their daily lives and, and have courage, have, have put together the strength and courage to um, amplify their voices. And really this report that we uh, presented the government on Monday is just like showing the hard data, you know, like um, what more can you present than clear telling hard data? Mm-hmm. Well, okay. Uh, I really appreciate you coming on. And I know this was uh, absolutely last minute, literally it was yes. uh, right before we went mm-hmm. to air and uh, we reached out and I appreciate you making time. I know uh, you've got a lot of phone calls probably to make with uh, other autism families, uh, families that have children with autism, mm-hmm. and uh, you want to give them the good news as well. I'm sure they're hearing it now as well. So yes, thank absolutely. you once again. Just, yeah, just one thing, Jazz, we just want to make sure that, you know, just because we, we did get this individualized funding back, that we are still very much committed to making sure that, um, you know, the children, all children with disabilities and support needs get the support that they need. So clearly we're going to continue and nurture these, um, these relationships with other disability groups because our our community is so broad and that, you know, we have many kids and, and youth to serve. Yeah. So.
Thank you so much. Thank you, Kay. That's Kay Bennis. He's with Autism BC. Uh, and if you were just joining us, uh, the province in the past year uh, has been trying to phase out direct funding to families of children with autism and replace it with a new centralized support hub model by 2025. Uh, parents whose children are dealing with autism uh, have been opposed and have been actually uh, you know, fighting the government for the well over a year. And it has been a very difficult time. The plan itself has been heavily criticized by autism families who say it will put their kids in competition for resources with other children uh, with support needs. And today, Premier Eby, just minutes ago, reversed the government's position and they will stick with the original program where families with children under the with, with children with autism under the age of six are eligible for twenty two thousand in funding per year and then dropping to six thousand per year uh, for those ages six and up. Essentially it provides um Families, uh, you know, at least a voice in regards to how their uh, children are treated and uh, and, uh, can have a say in some of the programs that are directed uh, towards them. Today, the province updated um, the residents uh, with regards to their fiscal, the fiscal update, and announced today the province's operating surplus is five point seven billion dollars. That's an improvement of five billion dollars. Talk about Christmas coming early. Uh, the change was primarily driven by a significant update from the Canada Revenue Agency for twenty twenty one personal and corporate income tax results, according to the BC government. Here is Finance Minister Selena Robinson uh, talking to our. Jill Bennett a couple of hours ago. What we're seeing with this surplus is that the investments that we've been making as a government have really paid off in keeping the economy going, keeping people working, and pay income tax that pays for all the services, the health care, the public safety, rebuilding of roads that get washed out because of flooding and atmospheric rivers. So all of the things that we've been dealing with are because we've been able to keep our economy resilient. And I think that's an acknowledgement of the hard work of British Columbians. Well, joining me now is Keith Baldry, Global BC's Legislative Bureau Chief. Hello, Keith. Hi, Jess. Uh, I was just listening to uh, Ms. Robinson there talking about the numbers. Uh, were you expecting the number to be this high? <laughs> no. Um, <laughs> I don't think she was either. I don't no, care what it, she says. Um, it's interesting, though, if you go back to last year, at the beginning of the pandemic, when the, the economy cratered and the huge holes appeared in all budgets, the expectation was we were going to be in deficit, serious deficit uh, situations for years to come. And that didn't happen. We got out of this very quickly starting last year of what seemed to be a huge deficit uh, suddenly became a big surplus. Same thing this year to a greater degree. When Selena Robinson brought her budget back down in February, I, myself and others said, you know, you're really lowballing your revenues here. They actually have projected a decline in revenue from year to year of about $2 billion. And in fact, revenues have absolutely exploded from year to year. So we're up, I think, in the neighborhood of $11 billion to the good. And uh, as you said, a huge chunk of that, almost $9 billion due to uh, Canada Revenue Agency restating the tax returns. Uh, not only is the deficit $500 million, $5 billion more than what was projected in the first quarter, if you go back to the actual budget in February of this year, the budget had projected a deficit of $5.4 billion. So this is a swing in six months of more than $11 billion. Not only is the deficit gone, but it's replaced by an almost equal size surplus. And this, if this holds, this will be a record surplus in BC history. Uh, we're not at the end of the fiscal year. There's still room to move in, on a number of areas for this government. David Eby's announcing a 
a series of new policies and changes, presumably he will want to spend some of this money before we end, reach the end of the fiscal year next uh, next March. And uh, I'm not sure he's going to spend all of this. And they also have to be careful. You don't want to suddenly, if you're a government, it's not prudent to suddenly put this huge surplus back into government programs because that means you fund it for eternity mm-hmm. unless you want to kill the program. Uh, and who knows what next year is going to bring or the year after that. So I suspect there might be a bit of program spending here between now and the end of the fiscal year. But I think if there is any spending, I think it will be one, one-off target payouts. Perhaps we're going to see some more rebates. Perhaps we're going to see some one-time funding lists for various things. But it's a very envious place for a government to be in right now. And do you – I mean in regards to just politics, you, do you think they want to put some of it towards uh, debt just to show that they're being fiscally prudent? Well, so whatever they don't spend automatically goes towards the debt. Okay. Um, so if, if, they, if they decide not to spend $2 billion of this, well, that's a $2 billion pay down of the debt, which is – you know, it's going to placate some fiscal conservatives for sure. But I, I suspect they're going to try to spend some of this money. And it's not just 5.7, Jazz. You look at other areas of the budget. There's so much elbow room in this thing and padding. There's $2 billion in contingencies that have not been uh, spent yet. There's another $2.8 billion in a different contingency line that so far to me that looks like it hasn't been spent yet either. And there's a $300 million forecast allowance that's been dropped from a billion because we're halfway through the fiscal year. Yet that together, we're talking a neighborhood potentially of $10 billion of unallocated spending. Much of this, a portion will go to sell public sector union contracts, no question, so it's not going to be quite that high. But there's still, nevertheless, more money to spend six months through the fiscal year than any B.C. government's had at its disposal ever before. Uh, is there any desire to uh, cut taxes here? I mean, if some of the BC residents are going to look at this and go, "Wait a minute, here! I get, I get the bounce back, but we're hurting as well." For, forget the tax rebates here. How about some permanent tax cuts along the way as well? Well, again, that that has implications that go beyond your fiscal, the one-time fiscal year. So, if you cut taxes this fiscal year, that tax cut's going to apply next year and the year after that, and who knows where the economy is going to be? And you don't want to be in a position necessarily. To, to restore that taxation, to bring the tax, eliminate the tax cut and raise taxes again because the economy's gone down. But it's always an option. Uh, you know, that could very well be uh, kicked around. Maybe you um, increase the number of goods and services that are exempt from the sales tax. That's mm-hmm. always an option for finance ministers. I'd be surprised if we saw an outright income tax or sales tax cut, though. Um, but like I say, governments have not had this type of... Uh, of uh, cash to throw around at things. And uh, it's going to be interesting under a new EB regime what exactly he wants to do with this. That's, it is fascinating, that's for sure. Keith, thank you so much. Have yourself a wonderful weekend. You too. Take care. Well, you may recall yesterday we spent a lot of time talking about uh, Nexus that we didn't get a chance to talk to our next guest about another issue uh, involving um, the border. Now, earlier this week, uh, the Vancouver province reported on a story of a man uh, that operates a cross-border business. His name is Jonathan Howling, and he's been banned from the United States for life after he was selected for a random search at the Peace Arch border crossing, of course, in Surrey, uh, a location that he's made dozens of uh, trips uh, many, many times. Um, and he got, as I said, uh, chosen for a random search. And in his vehicle, the officer, I guess, uh, found uh, CBD oil in his car, uh, a CBD bottle, a small little bottle that he had thrown into his center console a few few years ago and had forgotten about it. It contained less than 0.3% of THC, um, which is not a control substance in the United States. He uh, was detained at the border for hours, fingerprinted, DNA swabbed, and fined $500. 
And, of course, he got a lifetime ban uh, as well for attempting to enter the United States. So joining us now to talk about uh, the issues of CBD, but um, other uh, sort of ways you can get in trouble trying to get across the border is uh, Len Saunders. He's an immigration lawyer at Blaine Immigration. Hello, Len. Thank you for joining us again. Hi, Jazz. Happy Friday. Happy Friday. I, I'm going to assume you're staying away from the uh, the Black Friday deals uh, south south of the border. I'm working hard to uh, make all my Canadian clients happy, so I haven't been shopping today. I've been okay. at work all day. <laughs> well, it's a bit of a zoo, so so I'm glad I'm, I'm glad you're, you're you're at work. So walk me through this. Uh, and then the average Canadian's going to listen to this story and they go, "Look, okay, I understand what happened here, but a lifetime ban that seems really harsh." Well, and the American officers have every right to do this under federal immigration laws. So this gentleman didn't realize he was doing anything wrong. He put some CBD oil that he'd had for a while or whatever was CBD-based into his car in his glove compartment or center console, and they found it. And because it's considered a uh, controlled substance federally, a Schedule I controlled substance, the officers, not only did they seize the item, they gave him what's called a ZT, a zero-tolerance customs fine of $500. They did a lengthy sworn statement having him admit that it is illegal at a U.S. port of entry, which is federal government, even though where I am just south of there in Blaine, it's legal to buy, but you can't bring it over the border federally, and uh, gave him a lifetime bar. So I'm not surprised because this has been going on for a while. Obviously, with the pandemic and very few Canadians traveling into the U.S., you haven't seen a lot of it. But now with the border reopening and more people traveling and cannabis being legal in in Canada, you're going to see more people, retirees who maybe use CBD or gummy bears, anything cannabis-related for medical purposes. If they have it in their RV as they're driving south, the exact same thing can happen to them. And and actually, when I was in MLA, I remember uh, talking to some government folks, the fastest growth that they were seeing at one point in the use of cannabis was actually with seniors and particularly with oils. So you can definitely see something like that happening. Now, you said, look, the cannabis is is legal in Washington state, but ultimately the borders are still a federal jurisdiction. And that's the distinction, isn't it? Well, absolutely. And, you know, I think the the Canadian government has done a really good job at legalizing cannabis throughout Canada, federally, within the provinces. The Americans have done a horrible job because it's, it's created confusion. Some states it's legal, some states it's not. It's not legal federally. And so this is why you're seeing these unsuspecting Canadians run into problems. And I hate to say it, the only one who benefits it's me. It's a great stream of uh, clients. But these are not people who should be applying for waivers, but they're painted with the same brush as a drug trafficker because whether you have you know a small amount of cbd oil or your trunk is full of you know hundreds of pounds of marijuana you're still in violation of a controlled substance act in the u.s and you're inadmissible for life if you are able to prove as this gentleman hopefully will be that look it it was an innocent mistake like what's the chance of being successful zero i went to ottawa four or five years ago, to testify in front of the Canadian Senate when they were legalizing cannabis. And I said, you are going to see Canadians who go to the border unknowingly, either get lost or they leave something in their car, because most people, when they go and buy stuff, they're not walking to their cannabis store, they're driving. And I said to the Senate, you're going to see Canadians 
who subject them to, themselves to lifetime bars from entering the U.S., and this is exactly what's happened. Are there any other uh, stories that you've heard beyond just CBD oil where this is happening? Well, I'll tell you a great story. Um, the basketball player, the female basketball player who went into Russia with a vape mm-hmm. pen with some CBD oil, the exact same thing happened to her. And the Americans are so hypocritical. They're criticizing the Russians. You know, they've put her in jail and they're saying this isn't fair and it was a mistake. And I look and I go, this is exactly what happens to fellow Canadians. The only difference is they don't get put in jail for nine years. But giving someone a lifetime bar, especially if you're young and you have business to do down here, you want to go to Disneyland, it's the same thing. So the Americans, they need to wake up. They need to realize this isn't the kind of person that they want to bar for life from coming to this country. Because this gentleman, he's trying to do business down here. It's almost counterproductive to the Americans. But I could tell you, Jazz, story after story, all walks of life, professionals, Hmm. business people, old, young, it's happening to tons of people most people don't want to go on the on the radio or the news because they're embarrassed so i have to give this gentleman jonathan credit for at least bringing the story up because most people don't want to say what happened to them yeah i mean i i assumed it happened it was isolated i didn't realize that this is still going on and it is incredibly prevalent absolutely absolutely i see all the time i'm not going to say daily but i i definitely see two or three cases a week, and I'm just one immigration lawyer in Blaine. There must be hundreds of people who this is happening to on a monthly basis coming into the U.S. from Canada. Mm -hmm. So the warning here is, look, uh, be very smart, check your car, and uh, especially with uh, something like this, just be absolutely sure that you don't have anything in your car, you've discarded something, you've forgotten about something, something you've forgotten in your trunk or your console, whatever it may be, check everything before you cross the border. Absolutely. And for someone like this, even if they make it back in with a waiver, they'll never get Nexus again. So now they're back in the regular line having to wait for hours. How long does a waiver take? Like even if, let's say if you were successful, that rare time you'd be successful, is this something that can be dealt with pretty quickly? Oh, yeah. And it's not rare. Most of them get approved. Um, takes about a month to get the application completed, and then once it gets submitted, about three months. So he technically could come back in. I think his has occurred earlier this month. So he could come back in sometime in the springtime, definitely. But what a headache. Absolutely. What a headache. Absolute headache, and it costs money, and he has to do it for the rest of his life. Yeah, yeah. Len, thank you so much for your time, my friend. Have yourself a a wonderful weekend. Same to you. Thanks, Jess. Give him a chip, and I want $1,000 chip. Hurry up. But you don't understand, Marge. I have 50 bucks riding on this game. Gotta miss him, gotta miss him, gotta miss him. I'm gonna miss him. Go, 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 go. Give me that, give me that. How much that win? 200000 sir. $200,000? Oh. <laughs> All right. You're listening to The Jazz Joe Hall Show on 980 CKNW. Hey, welcome back to the show. Last year, the BC Lottery Corporation started taking bets on individual events, from prize fights to NASCAR races to baseball games uh, to the World Cup, thanks to Bill C-218, Ottawa's Safe and Regulated Sports Betting Act. Uh, the bill received royal assent in June of 2021 and became the law of the land in August on August 27th of that year. Now, under previous legislation, people weren't allowed to place a wager on multiple events to prevent fixing in sports. However, gaming associations long argued that it was 
which is that it's just driven billions of dollars to illegal bookies. The impact of that change uh, has been immediate. British companies are now betting on single games in many sports, uh, and that includes the World Cup. I was just looking at some numbers. In the United States, it's expected that nation will bet $1.8 billion uh, for the World Cup, and globally, it's expected um, betting could reach for this World Cup close to $160 billion globally. Joining me now to discuss single game betting and the World Cup is Matt Lee. Matt is the Senior Communications Specialist for BCLC, BC Lottery Corporation. Hi, Matt. Hi, Jess. How are you? I'm doing very well, my friend. So let's start with the World Cup first and foremost. Uh, uh, are you getting much interest from British Columbians in regards to betting, uh, single game betting and the World Cup? Yeah, I think that's probably putting it a little bit mildly. I think all of Canada and BC seems to be a real soccer fan these days, and we're seeing that on PlayNow.com for sure. Just to put it into perspective, Canada and Belgium's game on Wednesday was the most popular World Cup game for betting ever on PlayNow.com. And I think when it's all said and done, we expect this year's World Cup to be a record breaker in terms of money, money wagered and the amount of bets made. So if I wanted to, to, to bet, I would go, go on to your site, uh, and how uh, close to the game do I have to be to, to get my bet in? Uh, not close at all. I mean, I think it's fair to say that we have even the casual players. I mean, I, I, for example, I'm not a soccer fan for the most part, but of course, when Canada is competing, whether it's in the men's or women's tournament, I'm obviously going to follow along. So, you know, when people are, whether they're at home or in the office watching the games these days, um, they're clearly able to just simply log in and, and place their bet on the winner. Um it's been over a year now since single game betting has come to British Columbia. Uh, do you have a sort of a broad sense of what kind of numbers uh, we're betting here in British Columbia? Yeah, it's. Uh, I mean, we put out a, a release last uh, this August, actually, just to sort of mark that one year anniversary. And you know, we've seen record breaking numbers in terms of money wagered uh, because of the fact that single event betting came into effect. And you know, we've talked about this in the past, but you know, single event betting certainly was the game changer that we all thought it could be when you remove the requirement to place a wager on two events and you now let bettors distill it down more simplistically. Uh, PlayNow.com bettors, especially the casual ones, enjoy betting on the winner of event and doing so simply. And I think Wednesday's match between Canada and Belgium is pretty indicative of that. So in regards to that year, in regards to the release that you sent out, what was the number? Uh, I believe it was uh, definitely over $100 million. I'll have to go back to it and, and really look. But um, I, I mean, I know that it's been record-breaking performances year over year in terms of money wagered, and single-event betting has certainly been a huge driver behind that. Uh, I'm curious, uh, do you recall what the first game or sport uh, when you first launched in August, what was what people were betting on? Yeah, it, it would probably be something, I'm assuming some sort of European soccer event back in August. Um, you know, it, we took bets at the stroke of midnight on August 27th in mm-hmm. 2021. And I, I think it was probably something off in, in a separate continent uh, where people were placing their first single event bet. I mean, it could have been table tennis. It could have been, uh, again, something as easy as cricket, for instance, that, that was taking that first single event bet. I, I don't have that information offhand, but... And, you know, at the stroke of midnight, we were offering single event bets uh, on August 27th. Now, we, getting we, back to your original number, sorry, Jazz, yep. we've taken more than $170 million in single event bets since August 27th, and that was 
this August uh, 26th that we were able to say that. So in a one-year span, it was $170 million in single event bets. What, what do we like to bet on? I always think we're a ho- hockey uh, hockey nation. Uh, is that sort of the one main driving force, or, 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 or is it NFL football? What sports, uh, like in regards to the revenue that you get, what's your number one sport in regards to betting? Yeah, it's a, it's a close four-way race all the time, and it, it kind of goes back and forth. But it's the big four, the NHL, the NFL, the NBA, and Major League Baseball. Um, you know, we saw even just earlier a few weeks ago, there was a lot of talk about who was BC's team, the Blue Jays or the Mariners, for example. So, um, you know, there are a lot of sports fans in British Columbia. We know this, and they simply love to bet on all the sports, whether it's Major League Baseball or the NFL or even the NBA. Mm. Uh, and, and I'm going to um, assume here that uh, when we're talking about the, the Canada-Belgium game, but we got we got a, hu- a huge amount of fans here just in the Southwest when it comes to England. We've uh, Brazil, many other teams as well. I mean, the reality is, if 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 you weren't offering this, people could be betting at many other betting sites outside of Canada offshore that this the money just stays stays here in Canada wherever whatever you're betting or sorry here in British Columbia yeah that's right and I'm glad you sort of raised that up because I think there there's still a, a public perception out there that people don't realize that when they're placing bets on what we would call the illegal gambling websites that that money actually doesn't stay in British Columbia whereas on playnow.com through BCLC we know where every dollar of revenue generated by PlayNow.com goes, and it goes towards education, healthcare, and uh, community programs right here in the province. And that's really important for us, and that's something that we're constantly trying to get out there. Mm-hmm. And with $170 million, I'm going to assume that's still lowball, considering most people probably didn't know. Uh, and as you, you know, f- move further and further into this space, those numbers are going to continue to continue to grow. Yeah, I mean, we've, we've seen even before the legalization of Bill C-218 that, you know, PlayNow.com's growth was already kind of climbing beforehand. Uh, you know, COVID-19 played a small role in that as well. But, you know, online gambling has really become a area of growth for BCLC. Um, players enjoy being able to make sports bets on their phones or on their laptops. They enjoy being able to have a casino experience from their fingertips on their mobile device as well. Um, and, you know, as the awareness grows that single event sports betting is a thing, we definitely anticipate that sports betting will continue to grow uh, on playnow.com. Well, I don't, uh, just based on the fans in this office and, and just generally with soccer fans, uh, it, it, I can see it being very popular because that's all we talk about when we're watching the games during the day here as well. So I can definitely, definitely uh, see that. Matt, thank you so much for your time, my friend. Have yourself a wonderful weekend. Thank you, Jazz. You too. Well, in September, the local media scene here got a bit of a shake-up. The Overstory Media Group announced the acquisition of the Georgia Strait. Now, first established in 1967, the Strait has been an outspoken alternative media outlet. It's been part of the Vancouver counterculture for a very long time. It was, prior to the sale, uh, Canada's largest urban weekly publication. Now, Overstory is known for its digital products, including its online newsletters, uh, the Vancouver Tech Journal, uh, the Burnaby Beacon, and the Fraser Valley uh, Current. This week, the Strait hits the newsstands under the new leadership of the Overstory Group. What will it look like? Well, joining me now is Farhan Mohammed, co-founder and CEO of the Overstory Media Group. Farhan, thank you for joining us today. 
That's good to be here. Uh, you know, I, I saw your tweet earlier, uh, I believe it was this week, uh, with uh, the new print edition of the Georgia Strait. Uh, what went through your mind when uh, that uh, hit the streets? That must have been quite the, quite the feeling. Yeah, so they uh, they started hitting the streets yesterday, and, and the newspaper boxes around Vancouver have been have been starting to get filled up. Um, you know, it's one of those we've ever since we took over the publication, we've heard from well, quite literally hundreds of people, hundreds of readers from around the city, from around the region, who say how much they depended on the print edition to get their news, to be told, getting an understanding of what's happening, to read stories about the arts community and know what's going on. So we said, we, we have to bring this thing back. And thankfully, we had tons of advertising partners who came on board and said, we want to help you get there and we want to be a part of this. And so it, it's weird, you know, it feels like digital has taken over everything over the past 10, 20 years, but there's still something really special about print. Uh, and uh, and so it's a really cool feeling to finally get this thing out. It, now, the Georgia Strait, the, the old Georgia Strait was a weekly. Are you planning to still have a print edition weekly? Yeah, we're, we're going to see what we can do. Everything is coming down to, you know, what makes business sense. So we're starting with a monthly and then we're going to go from there and see what we can do. And in a perfect world, we want to we want to answer the needs of the people. And if people are saying that they need something weekly and if we can do that, then then by all means, we'll make that happen. But we're going to start with a monthly. Uh, if you're looking for weekly, we do a weekly newsletter now that goes out for free to inboxes, email inboxes. And so you can go onto our website at the straight uh, at just straight.com and sign up and you can get that every Thursday morning. Hmm. Uh, the paper itself started in May of 1967. It was a counterculture paper. Uh, it's a paper that uh, uh, obviously challenged uh, the establishment. It evolved over many years, uh, focusing on, of course, uh, culture, entertainment, music, food. Uh, how will this new iteration of the Georgia Strait be different from the old Georgia Strait, or are you planning to keep a lot of what worked? Yeah, you know, it's funny. We talk about the new Georgia Strait, and I actually say, well, it, it's going to be the old Georgia Strait. Uh, when when the company was acquired a few years ago, it went through a very big, drastic change. It was bought by owners in Toronto, and they basically said, we are killing all coverage and all support of things like arts and venues. And and so what we're trying to do is we've said, okay, from, from day one, we said, we are going back to what it used to be, and we're going to focus on arts, entertainment, really the culture of the city. And and that's what we're gonna what we're gonna focus on. And we're putting that big ceiling in place and saying we're not gonna cover everything and anything. And so the straight is our goal is to make it what it used to be, the premier destination for arts, entertainment, uh, events, uh, music, food, uh, news commentary, really talking about the culture of the city. And so uh, whether it's online or in print, I'm hoping that people are gonna see that. Uh, at the same time, I mean, the, the, the Georgia Strait grew up in a different era, even a different generation. One could um, say that, look, it, it, it sort of was the place for a baby boomer generation. Today, the median age in this country is 41, which I guess would make you an elder millennial. So it's a different era, different time, but different generations would, will, read the, will read the Georgia Strait. Um, one of the things it did, though, was um, I think it had a, a strong progressive perspective. Some call it progressive, I'd say left wing, whatever you want to call it. But it was a voice, at least, let's say a left wing voice, challenging some of the um, general presumptions and assumptions of City Hall, 
other members of the media, more established media. Um, will you still sort of have that editorial stance, do you think, or is, or is that a work in progress for, for the Strait? Yeah, it's definitely a work in progress. We're trying to evolve with the times and definitely evolve with the city. I think what we're hearing is that uh, the Strait used to be a place that you could discover what was happening in the community. And it could also be, it was also the place to be discovered, whether you were an artist, a musician, um, whether you were an up and comer in, in the community. And I think that's, that aspect of it has been lost. And so we are, we're really digging deep and, and really going to try to understand what is it that the city needs. I think over the past five, 10 years, Vancouver's identity has been questioned so much. I think even over the past few years, um, you know, people have been trying to figure out what is this city, what is this region, um, what are we and who are we? And and we want that we want to be there asking those same questions, but then figuring out answers at the same time. And so I think you're going to see a lot more on the on the commentary side, a lot of the questioning. Um, definitely not as much or maybe not at all from a day-to-day news standpoint. I think there are other uh, great publications and outlets around the city who are doing that. And so we're really going to dig deep and, and try to figure out and answer some of those questions that just what are we and who are we as a community and what is it going to take to get us to that next step together. Now, Overstory, uh, Farhan operates uh, other publications like the Vancouver Tech Journal, the Burnaby Beacon, um, the Fraser Valley Current. Uh, in your mind, is that the future in regards to digital with all the clutter that's out there, your business model beyond the Georgia Strait has been newsletters and then you're trying to find a different way to get news and information to the public. Yeah, I mean, so much of what we do is is centered around newsletters because it's our way of connecting with people and getting them information directly into their hands. And, you know, it very much feels like the way it used to be. If you're looking to pick up a copy of The Street every Thursday, well, we're actually going to send you an email every Thursday. So you don't even have to go somewhere to get it. It's coming directly to you. You don't have to search for it. It's waiting for you in your inbox. And so we do that same thing from the local news outlets on a daily basis and, and getting them news that's important to them. I think it's this idea, though, about what what is local news, what is community news, and how are we thinking about it? And so rather than trying to give you know everyone across Metro Vancouver and the Lower Mainland uh, a snapshot of what's happening across the entire region, we're giving them stuff that's happening directly in their communities and, and allowing them to ask those questions. What's happening in my own neighborhoods, in my own cities? And so really giving that customization and personalization to say, you know, I'm a member of of the Burnaby community, I'm also caring about arts, I also care about tech or whatever it looks like, um, that there are these these community outlets that are there for you. You don't need to go to one place and expect everything uh, that you care about from that one place because I think that's uh, almost, uh, uh, you know, it's, it's way too difficult today. So we're really trying to give people the the focus and say we have dedicated journalists and reporters in the community, creating content for the community, um, and making it that it is all really 100% local feel. Mm -hmm. Is there a future for any sort of print anymore? I know you're doing this once a month, uh, but uh, in regards to readers of all generations, like I personally like reading a hard copy of a book, but when it comes to my newspapers, it's all digital now, and I'm very comfortable with that. Is there still a future uh, moving forward for print, though? I mean, just the, the hard copy, the costs... And then just the, reading it at the kitchen table or at the coffee shop, wherever it may be, do you still think in a digital age there there is any long-term future for print? 
I, I think so. Uh, you know, I think it all comes down to what is the value that you're providing. Is if it's a if it's a print newspaper with news that's going to expire in the next 24 to 48 hours, that means that that print copy is going to be dead within a day or two. So re- we're really starting to think about if we are going to be doing this and if this is what people are looking for, then what is that actually going to look like? Is it going to be something that's more of a glossy magazine feel rather than a newspaper? Uh, is it something that can can have longevity so that any of these stories matter for the next, not just maybe for the next month, but maybe for the next year or two years, five years, ten years? Um, I remember growing up and having having those magazines on you know on the coffee table and and reading them, and you go to coffee shops and you see what's going on. The thing I absolutely hated the most was you would go in and you would see a newspaper and and pick it up and you say, well, this is yesterday's news and it's outdated now. So we're really starting to think about that and say, if you want daily news, subscribe to one of our newsletters. Every day we're giving fresh content on a daily basis um, that will have an an expiry date. And so tomorrow we're going to come out with more news. But if you're looking for something that's more valuable, that has longevity, that has legs on it, then we have to redefine what that actually looks like because you know we even from an environmental impact you're thinking i don't want to be sitting there printing newspapers every single week that are going to die in the next week and you know let's think about what is that long lasting uh, appeal look like and and ultimately what is the value that we're providing so we can expect uh movie reviews uh, reviews of restaurants uh music festivals cultural festivals that are coming um, all of those types of things uh, a real focus for the Georgia Strait. Absolutely, you know, if you're if you want to f- figure out what's happening in the city, if you want to discover that next up and coming, you know, Grammy Award winner that's going to be from the city, or want to know about that really cool underground uh, concert that's going on, or any anything like that, the Strait is going to be your home for that. Great. Well, Farhan, thank you so much for your time. Best of luck to you and all uh, your colleagues. Uh, it's, it's an iconic paper, and uh, hopefully it has many, many years ahead uh, for its uh, journalists and, and writers and, and, of course, for the audience as well. Thank you so much for your time today. Thanks, Jess. Welcome back to the show where we've had another week of opinions, experts, open line wisdom, and hot takes. It's that time to bring together our dynamic duo to help explain the week that was. It's time for The Wrap. Goodbye now is over. That's all, thank you. All right, that's a wrap. It's Friday, and this is The Wrap on the Jazz Joe Hall Show. Thank God it's This week we look at would you go to Qatar for the World Cup, and is Black Friday actually worth it? Joining me now are dynamic duo Leah Halive, TV reporter and radio host, and Sarah Daniels. She's a real estate agent in South Surrey. She's an author and broadcaster. Welcome, Leah and Sarah. Hey, guys. Yippee-ki-yay, I won't finish that sentence. <laughs> there you go. Well, let's talk a little footy in Qatar. Now, the decision to hold the tournament in that tiny Gulf state has been shrouded by allegations of bribery, and the staging of the event has come to be regarded as a human rights tragedy. Qatar's treatment of its migrant workers who built the stadiums and transportation infrastructure that will be used uh, for the World Cup has drawn international condemnation. The Guardian reports that 6,500 workers have died in that country uh, so as they were building uh, those stadiums since 2010. There are also concerns over how the host nation will treat its visitors. Uh, homosexuality is outlawed, outlawed in Qatar, although according to the Guardian, law enforcement has reportedly agreed to show restraint when confronted with public displays of affection from those in the LGBTQ community. So 
there's a lot going on over there uh, in Qatar, and it's not even the football. So, Leah, let me start with you. And I saw your tweet earlier today. You were pumped like all uh, Canadians were for that uh, great uh, Canada-Belgium game. We didn't kind of turn yeah. out the way we wanted to, but the, they played really just great, great soccer. Uh, would you go if someone gave, offered you a free ticket? First off, yes, Canada outplayed Belgium. Let's just say that. <laughs> totally did. Yep. The score didn't reflect it. Unfortunately, that's soccer. That's football. Um, but this is a tough one, Jazz. You know, I mean, FIFA really needs to stop awarding the World Cup to countries with human rights violations. They need to stop that, like, now. I'm sure it'll kick out a lot of countries, but then so be it. I think, you know, like you mentioned, the migrant workers allegedly being killed during construction. They had to work for a month, some of them, without being paid in unsafe working conditions. I would love to go and see Canada kick butt. But I don't think I could go because of that. I think why should we give them our dollars and our tourism money just so they could, you know, spread it around and continue to behave the way they behave there? So mm-hmm. for me, I, it's a no-go. I'll watch it from home and tweet away. I'm good with that. Uh, Sarah, what about you? If somebody said, all right, we got first-class tickets, we're going to go. It's a great event, uh, great teams from around the world. It is a great international tournament, but also a festival as well. There are people from all over the world. Would you, would you consider it? Hard pass. Hard pass. <laughs> I mean, yeah. seriously, between the IOC and FIFA, did they just like, do, is there a giant cesspool of, of individuals on the boards of these organizations that are the lowest common denominator of human decency? And they say, mm-hmm. yes, those are the people that we need to run these organizations. Let's pick crappy countries like Russia and Qatar, places that <laughs> human rights apparently mean absolutely nothing. Mm-hmm. And and let's mm-hmm. send them all this money, et cetera, these tourist dollars, and let them sports wash. And that is apparently the, the phrase for it, where sports, and it's not unlike the, uh, the, the that uh, golf that golf thing that uh, they, they are Saudi, Arabia. Well, Saudi Arabia. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Golf yeah. is where you're, you're getting countries with absolutely abysmal human rights able to sponsor and, and try and make good on all these things. By the way, Saudi Arabia, very excited about their win. That day, 17 people executed in Saudi Arabia by yeah. beheading. Yeah, so, I, you know, we really need to think about where which we're countries going we give it to. Yeah, yeah so I, I guess here's my question though Would you give it to China? Would you go to China? Well, China's got no. uh, its own challenges when it comes to uh, mm-hmm. human rights, uh, with its Uyghur population, with them uh, hard crackdown when it comes to freedom movement in Hong Kong as well. Not um, to mention COVID. Yeah, exactly. And then so uh, my, my question is wouldn't we just run out of countries? Because it takes a certain, certain type right. of country to, to spend the kind of dollars that are required for I, the Olympics and FIFA. One could look, argue, look, hey, let's Let's go to India, and India is, uh, isn't known for treating its Muslim population, minority populations, very well at presently. Uh, are we going to go to England? Wait a minute, there's there was colonialism, but maybe that's in the past. I don't know, <laughs> and we're going to run out of like what countries would you be able to hold the FIFA or the Olympics? Sweden. Sweden. <laughs> well, you know what? Honestly, honestly, I, I've said this about the Olympics, and I think this is probably applicable to FIFA is that there literally should be one designated place for both summer and winter games. And that's it. They've got the infrastructure. Yeah. Are they going to benefit from all the tourist dollars? Sure. But we we let Russia, you know, in Sochi do all sorts of horrible things. I mean, Qatar, I, I, I mean, or Qatar, however you'd like to pronounce it. Uh, it's a it's a I'm sure a fascinating country, a Persian country, the history there, all that kind of stuff for me as a history buff is interesting, but to support that kind of crap, excuse my language, yeah. Yeah. not going to happen. I mean, yeah. I've got lots no, of friends in the LGBTQ too. community 
for me to go would be like slapping them in the face. And, and partially, yeah. I, I think you raise a very good point, is that some of these, these games themselves have become so commercialized, so expensive, that mm-hmm. very few countries, democracies certainly, it's almost difficult to sell these projects to your fellow citizens and most importantly taxpayers who are footing the bill. I mean, we've had the conversation here uh, in this city of another uh, potential winter Olympic run and it's, and it's the cost, right? And we've got a lot of that stuff built, but it's still going to be two, three billion dollars. And that is tough enough for our country, which is a developed nation. Uh, You can't compete against one party totalitarian regimes like Qatar. It's a Royal family as is Saudi Arabia. You've got a a crazy man running Russia. Uh, uh, so you're running out of countries, actually. Right? Well, that's and, part and of the problem. The funny thing I is, is Qatar's out. Qatar's out of the tournament now, so they're done. Oh yes, and, and, and I, I, I think I think that's part of the point is that these countries have like there's no diplomacy as far as like internally, so the people don't have a vote, and so they will literally starve their citizens, import people from countries that and and totally abolish their rights to build these things. It's, I mean, it's, I mean, we talk about colonialism and all that kind of stuff. And obviously there's, we we all have these histories in in democracies, but it's playing out in real time right now. Yeah. And and, it's just not acceptable. And you raise a very good point because I I used to go to, uh, when I went to Afghanistan, I used to travel through Dubai. Now it's not Qatar, but it's very close and similar. 85, 90% of the population or expats. So yep. you actually yeah. had a hierarchy of, you know, you could have those coming from a Western nation, maybe you're a real estate agent, or you're working at the front desk of a, of a hotel, or you could be, let's say a Filipino is working there, some Filipino heritage, you'll have some Indians working there, but you got Pakistanis, Egyptians, and Indians building these uh, towers, and they do die, and, and they... And know, they have no rights. And they and have they no have rights. No right. yeah, exactly. So yeah, yeah I, right. I, I, and it, it, it's a great tournament, but I'm like you, I would not go... Or no go. I, I'm, I'm going to be political here, and, and I don't mean to, but I was kind of disappointed that the mayor of Vancouver decided he was going to go. Yeah, yeah what, how he was not to go. happy to hear that. I mean, I. But I, he bought I, his tickets not, in advance too, right? Like that's a tough call. Well, but, the, but he bought tickets in but advance. Didn't know place. that Cutter was a terrible country. Yeah, true. <laughs> There you go. All right. Let's let's talk about uh, something close to home. Coming up next, we're going to ask that one question. Is Black Friday actually worth it? That's next on the Jazz Joe Hall Show. Hey, welcome back to the uh, Jazz Joe Hall Show. For just joining us, we have our rap panel, Leah Halive and Sarah Daniels. We were just talking about Olympics in Qatar, and uh, we want to talk a little bit about Black Friday today. I was watching the uh, news hour footage a little earlier today, and it looked like people did line up this morning for some of the stores. I uh, made a quick quick, uh, trip down to Pacific Center here uh, at uh, where we're located here at CKNW, and, you know, it was pretty busy, not as busy as as I've seen uh, in previous years, and uh, the the Arthur Lang Bridge wasn't uh, shut down (laughs) because people had to get to (laughs) the the outlets there by the airport. Uh, But uh, the question we're asking is, do you still care about Black Fridays? Leah, Leah, let me go to you first. Do you shop on Black Fridays? Are you looking for deals? Okay, so I do not like lining up and getting up early. That has always been the way I've been, like Boxing Day. No, I'm not going to do it, but I'll do it online. So I did do some online Black Black Friday shopping, but I did it yesterday. So I did Black Thursday shopping instead. There were some good deals. But I did find, though, even looking online this year, that some of the products that I normally buy, I looked, they raised the price of the regular price to make it look like it was a sale. So like, uh. okay, no good, not going to do that. But I do like Cyber Monday Weasel. too. Cyber Monday. I know, right? <laughs> exactly. Absolutely. Sarah, do you line up at all or have you ever lined up for those deals? 
I, we've had discussions. Do I line up for anything? <laughs> no, no, I do no, not. You don't. I'm, I, and, and frankly, like I'm, I'm at home right now and I've got the TV on in the background. It's on mute. And while I was waiting in the break, a, an ad came up for a manscaping uh, <laughs> thing that was 25% off for Black Friday. And Gift I'm cards. And I'm thinking it's it's close to the dinner hour. Do I really need that in my head? No, no I, 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 I just do not. Stop, stop. But men, men, as you're driving home, 25 percent off on that ass game. Don't miss out. Your lady will thank you later. Exactly. Wait, wait, say no more. Um, no, I. There's there's no uh, no um uh, no no no. There's no, nobody. Never gonna happen. It's not ever. No. But do you do online shopping. Like, do you do like I, what I do? But, I would, uh, it, it depends because I, literally like I've got nieces and nephews, they just want money. Um, and they, yeah. don't, and they don't mark that off on black Friday, which is really disappointing. <laughs> Unfortunately. Um, and, and, um, and then I, then I do shop for some little kids and stuff, but, um, yeah, no, no. Hard pass. Well, <laughs> what we, about you, Jack? I, I, uh, I, I bought a shirt today, uh, online though, uh-huh. online, but I, I was reading, we were talking to some re- uh, retail experts about a month ago and they said there's going to be some really good deals. They were assuming that a lot of these stores had uh, overbought stock because of the supply chain issue, but six weeks ago and uh, but i think that a lot of these stores now stretch these sales out from black friday till christmas day and boxing day rather than just one day where they blow everything out and it's crazy because there's cyber monday still too right yeah yeah do you remember back in the day the old a and b sound like the the boxing day sale i remember i've got a funny story in this because years ago when i worked for rock 101 i bought my my younger brother a rock 101 uh jacket for christmas and he went down to the A and B lineup and walked they in the front of his jacket and said he was there from the radio station oh, and no. waltzed right in. And he told me that later, and I just about had a heart attack. I'm, are you trying to get me fired? Like, what are you doing? But he said, hey, it worked like a charm. So there's a little tip, people. Pretend you're with a radio or television station doing a story. Yeah. Boom, you're in the door. Yeah. You get some well, perks, yeah. That's the way to do it. I remember a and B. I'm teaching all the stuff. I'm teaching you all, all the stuff. Oh, these kids, these kids need to know how to do, right? So there you go. There you go. They won't wait in lines. Are you kidding me? No, no. way. Like, you get video games on your PS5 now. You download them. You just you download them. them. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago. They all waited for yeah. hours to go to that, like, personal not Walker uh, luggage sale. So, I mean, yeah, apparently. That's right. They did. They did. There, there was like three, four that's hour true. lineups. There was all for around. Backpacks, just, they'll yeah. do it. Bonkers. I mean, yeah. Herschel I, and, and Aritzia. worth a lot more than that. Herschel and Aritzia, they will. They Aritzia, will, they I guess, will. but not a backpack. Not thank a you very much. Yeah. No there way. you go. Yeah. Well, ladies, thank you so much. Have yourself a wonderful weekend. We'll talk next week. You too, my friends. You guys all right. Too. Take care. That is Leah Halive. She's a TV reporter and radio host. And of course, Sarah Daniels, who is a real estate agent in South Surrey. She's an author and broadcaster as well. They're part of our rap panel. Thanks for listening to the Jazz Joe Hall Show podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to the show on Apple or Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can always listen to the Jazz Joe Hall Show live Monday to Friday from 3 to 6 p.m., on 980 CKNW and connect with me on Twitter at Jazz Joe Hall BC. Talk to you next time. What's your emergency? Ah, I'm on a cruise ship. Ah, there was an explosion. Oh my god, the ship is sinking. I can't get out. There's water everywhere. 
instructions. Stay with me. Hello? Are you there? Help is on the way. Angela Bassett and Peter Krause return in an all-new season of 911 on a new night. Thursday, March 14th on Global. Stream on Stack TV.